You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. you do this week Evan I'm gonna ask you first because I have to think about what I did this <laughs> week okay so this week so this is coming up on um uh, happy Columbus Day um I shouldn't say Columbus Day excuse wow. me wow there was an accident I was going to I wouldn't I had a whole reason White privilege <laughs> happy indigenous people's day fuck Columbus for Columbus Day if you want to read about what a fuckhead he was you could uh check out the book um, 1491 by Charles Mann. I really enjoy it. And also in honor of the fuckhead, I um, started my indigenous uh, people's history of the United States, which I'm excited. I just started, mm-hmm. so I don't have any information yet. Um, or you could go back and listen to our Two-Spirit episode, which talks about Native Americans and all the indigenous people of the Americas. And I think even our Puritans episode. Any yeah. episode where we cover American history, we basically yeah. talk about how horrible... Oh, yeah. The founding fathers and every other, you know, settling group came, how horrible they were and how they literally just annihilated an entire country of people. Yeah, the colonizers. No, uh, but then the Two-Spirit episode, we also go a little bit into the history Mm -hmm. of indigenous people. So that's why I say that. Um, But yeah, but other than... the one good thing was that we had two very good friends that got married. And so Samantha and I went to a wedding and we spent the night in a mansion because my friends are fancy like that. A little that. bougie. Yeah, it is a little bougie, but you know what? It's beautiful. So um, <laughs> it's good. And then, you know, otherwise, same old, same old. Uh, I went to a production, like a little show. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really good. It has my friend Michael Poopy in it. Um, so it was fun what? to watch. That's his name. This is like his stage name? No, that's his real name. That must have been hell as a kid. I know. But anyways, (laughs) it was really good. Um, Went on a little date. Um, Played a lot of video games. Did some web design work. Did some podcast stuff. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Drank a lot of coffee. Nothing new there? No, nothing. You've really turned into a coffee fiend. I don't know what... I think it's because I haven't been drinking or, you know, smoking marijuana once a month. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so every day I'm like, gotta get that caffeine fix. No, that's true. That's where my coffee took off. Like <laughs> I stopped drinking and I was like, okay, well I've got to put something in my mouth. Mm-hmm. So it's- something needs to either make me shake or <laughs> <laughs> like, and I don't want to go to cocaine. So can't afford that. Got it. Much better to do coffee. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, I, I, I think it's a mixture of like definitely when I stopped drinking, but also 
I hit like 28, 29. And yeah. I was all of a sudden I was like, because I, I never really cared for coffee. I hated coffee. I was, you know, like every young person, I only oh, drank yeah. energy drinks. I was like, coffee's nasty. I'm never going to like it. And then something flipped in my brain. And I was like, I love coffee. If I don't have coffee every day, I will die. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I'm down 2.5% body fat. I know. So I need to lose like another like 7%, I think. 0.7%? No, 7%. Wait. Oh, 7%. Oh, okay. And yeah, then I'll say. be like pretty toned, like slim yeah. and toned up. Um, I don't know like what the body fat percentage standards are, but. Yeah. I'm also down 2%, hoping for nice. 3% when I weigh myself this week. And I'm proud of us because we've done really good at the gym. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Well, it really helps having you to go with. Yeah. Because like if I go by myself, I'm like. Well, I can kind of skimp out a little early, but if I go with you, we're like, no, we're doing this. This is our set for the day. Yep. All right, let's do it. It helps to have a workout buddy. It really does. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, we're so adult now. I know. I'm like, I drank coffee and worked out this week. What did you do? (laughs) (laughs) It's so different. Uh, People, the young people are bored. They're like, I'm done with this podcast. Right. I used to go out every, almost every night and get really drunk and like, make it back home somehow i wouldn't be driving drunk like i would have a dd or like uber or something um and i used to party out and stay up late and go to work on four hours of sleep yeah if i do that now i'll like i drink two drinks and i'm like sick the next day if my friends want me to go out past 10 p.m i'm like oh okay well when we <laughs> went to uh the production it was at eight o'clock and then uh Naoki, who's Michael's uh-huh. boyfriend and our friend, um, was like, come out for drinks and dinner after. And I was like, well, the show's from 8 to 9.30, so... <laughs> so coming up on my bedtime. <laughs> yeah, I don't know when you thought we were going to be having time to do all that, but... Oh. I gotta get home within the next 30 minutes, so it's a 15-minute drive. <laughs> Not leaving me a lot of time to eat here. Uh, yeah, no, it's a yeah, same thing. It's, I, it's, it was so fun then, and it was fun then. But, like, the very, it's crazy how, like, the very idea of staying out all night, like, makes my skin. I've done it mm-hmm. once this last year. I did it. I tried. We tried to stay for Pride, and we made it to maybe midnight. I don't even know if we mm-hmm. made it that long. And then um, I, we did stay out a good bit. We had a friends, the friends that just got married, their bachelorette party. Um, there's two women, so they mm-hmm. had their bachelorette party together. It was cute. We got a, a party bus, and we went up to Boston. And um, and so we stayed out late for that, and I was fine. I also took like a three-hour nap before it. Yeah. <laughs> and I had coffee, and so I don't know how to prepare myself. Like, you, I can't go out on a whim anymore. It's not like in your 20s where your friends would text you at midnight and be like, hey, come meet us at the right? bar. You, you just get up and yeah. go. Yeah, no. I'd be like, I'd just ignore it and be like, oh, sorry, I didn't see your message. <laughs> exactly. Like, oops. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can do it. It's just, I don't know. I feel like... When I was in my early 20s, I didn't really do that much besides work. Mm-hmm. So I like worked. And then if somebody wanted to do something, I was like, great. But now as I'm in my mid 20s. <laughs> yeah. Um, Your late 20s. No, I'm in my mid 20s. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You should be uh, in his mid 20s till he's 30. <laughs> yep. I am. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm so busy throughout the day and I do so many different things and I follow up on so many different tasks. And like at the end of the day, I'm just like, all right, I'm exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also when you start taking care of yourself and listening to your body. Yeah. Another thing is when you're young, you don't listen to your body. I was thinking the other day about how like 
every day I'd get up and go to work and I'd feel like shit. And I was like, I just don't know why I feel like shit. <laughs> but I was eating like shit. I didn't go to the gym. I drank all night. And I wake up and I did and I would live off of like Going three to, to four doctor. hours of sleep. I don't know why I feel so and sick. And I'm like, all the time. it's just weird. Every day I have a stomach ache. So I put a trigger warning in in the episode, but I want to state further: if you are listening with small children, you should not. I'm not. I know I shouldn't tell people what to do, but I'm I'm honestly telling you. Please don't listen to this episode listen, with small children. I watched Freddy Cougar when I was five. I turned out fine. He turned out gay. So if you want your kid to be <laughs> gay, you let them listen to this. Um, <laughs> no, but I'm serious. Um, by the last story, we're telling three stories. And by the last one, it's very gruesome. And we're going to get a little graphic. Definitely the most gruesome and graphic we've ever got. I might pass out. Got. So <laughs> we'll see what Anyways, happens. Anyways, so you have been warned. It is gruesome. It is graphic. Um, it is bloody. And I don't think that children should hear about it. But what the fuck do I know? People are always you grew like, up in a cult. I don't think. <coughs> I don't think you I, have. There's there are th- some things that aren't appropriate for children. You don't get children. any say what children get to see. Whatever, whatever. Every time I tell you something about kids should or shouldn't too, people are like, "Do you have kids?" As if I couldn't have any possible thought on children. Like if I don't have kids, <laughs> I can't be like like I don't have kids, but I don't let them play. I wouldn't let kids play in the street. I don't have to have fucking kids to know like, Listen, oh wow, shouldn't play in the I middle of the fucking in, road. I played in the street and I'm okay. Oh god, <laughs> wow. That's my favorite. Those things that are like, well, when I was a kid, my parents used to beat my ass and I turned out fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any trauma. The fact that I turned around and beat my kid's ass doesn't mean anything. <laughs> <clears throat> Anyways, <clears throat> do you want to start? I feel like I started sure. last episode. <laughs> All right. I'm up. Every time. You need to start taking care of that. I, I, What am I supposed to do about it? I've been taking medicine. I, What else am I supposed to do? I don't know. Not be sick. Oh, okay. Real simple. Maybe if we had free health care. <laughs> Go ahead. Today we dive into the realm of the unknown, the mystery of supernatural, and specifically, the supernaturally fabulous. We're discussing queer hauntings because, yes, they exist. It's not they all do. Victorian old women and men in their tattered outfits. The Victorian era was such a fucking gay era, so... It was, <laughs> but every time you hear about a ghost, it's like, yeah. it was this... It's like this woman in this Victorian dress. Every time. Every, every time. ghost ever. It's never some gay in a bar going, Yes, bitch. Or like, you know, you walk. I walked through the halls of the gay bar. And then suddenly I heard, It's Britney, bitch. Never. Never. It never happens. It's always, She was this woman in a white dress. And she stared at me through the window. Why is it? Why are we so f- terrified of the Victorian area? That's what I want to know. Like, what is it about that? That like, I mean, everybody died at thirty, so it's not like the ghosts were fucking. People were died at thirty before that, so I don't know. <laughs> it's something about the dress of it that was it's so the, morbid. The clothing. And, uh, yeah. Anyways, keep. Going. Oh, where am I at? I'm. I'm really distracted. <laughs> you just today, went off on your own. If you can't tell, so <laughs> because almost all of our information is from one book, we want to credit the author up front. Ken Summers, author of the book Queer Hauntings, True Tales of Gay and Lesbian Ghosts. The book is available on Amazon with a Kindle edition for only $3, or you can get the Audible version for just under 8 If you don't have an Audible account, we've got you covered because guess what? Your first month is on us. Just use the promo code QUEER. That's wrong. That's wrong? Yes. Go to audibletrial.com slash queer, and you get a free audiobook and a free month of Amazon... Yeah. Nope. A free month of Audible. A and free month of Audible comes with a free audiobook. What's yeah. wrong with my scripts? It's it's not promo code queer. 
There is no you promo said, code. You said pro. Oh, go to Audible Trial and what? D- AudibleTrial.com slash queer. Slash queer. That's oh, not a promo code. Oh, well, why don't you why don't you fix it, Mr. Smarty Pants, if you're so smart? Hang on. <laughs> no, that's not what I want to do. But it also supports us. It helps the podcast out. And you yes. can listen to this book, which why would you not want to listen to a book about queer hauntings um, during Halloween month? Yeah. Pretty simple. Exactly. Um, I, love how you, I love how you wrote I, that little... I'm like, <laughs> audible.audibletrial.com. Audible, no, audible trial, trial Evan's editing the script and it's moving around on my screen. It's great. Slash queer. Uh, there we go. Thank you. Now. So now we're going to take you on a journey of terror across America and around the world. We're going to cover three stories, two in the States and one abroad. And we must add a trigger warning, like Evan said. The stories only get bloodier and more horrific as we go. Uh, so keep your strap on, on homos. <laughs> Look at you, just ad-libbing. I don't even know why I write a script I anymore. Know. Just give me a few key bulletin, bullet points and I'll just, <laughs> I'll just make up the story. I don't care. Yeah, 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 yeah. So our first stop is a place known worldwide for both its queerness and its hauntings. New Orleans, Louisiana. Which we should go. Uh, one day we're definitely going to go. Yeah. I have a friend, Kelsey, shout out to you, who lives in New Orleans, and we can just, I'm I'm volunteering us to crash at her place. All right. Thanks, we're, we're Kelsey. Coming. We're coming. We're crashing at you, your place. But... You do know Kelsey. She was in my wedding. Uh, I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> You've probably met her at least six times. You're so- Wait, is she the one with glasses? Yes. Oh. She's Jill's sister. Yeah, okay, I know her. You know Kelsey. You know Kelsey. <laughs> <laughs> I always just assume I don't know people. Every, exactly. I'm like, I don't know that person. If I can Any person, like, I could be like, Samantha, my wife, and he'd be like, never heard of her. Who's that bitch? <laughs> David does the same thing. He'll be like, remember this person? I'm like, nope. <laughs> I just automatically say no. I am really, I see, I'm I'm good. I'm good with faces, but I'm really bad with names. And so. Maybe, I think that's what it is. And I, and I, and I get, I start getting, like, with my customers, I try to remember the regulars. Oh my but God. then I get this panic attack that I'm going to say the wrong name so then when they come in I'm like hey and I'm overexcited because I, I think I remember thing. and I'm All like hey when I, when I worked retail it was the same thing like because <laughs> hey Paul I'd be like hey how's it going I'm like, like you're in here every day exactly. you buy the same four items <laughs> Don't remember your name. Could remember your name. Because then I'm like, I have a name in the back of my mind. I'm like, but I don't think that, what if that's not their name? What if I call them Walt and it's not? And they're like, who's Walt? Right. And start so, giving them name tags. Like when you come to my store, you have to wear your name tag. Exactly. <laughs> so anyways. <coughs> um, all right. Um, any person who enters the city limits of New Orleans is bound to make an acquaintance with at least a few queers and ghosts. And what better way to do so than at the oldest gay bar in the country, some say even the world. Now, there was also um, debate about this. Some people said it was the second, the second oldest gay bar, but it's an old fucking gay bar. And that is the Café Lafette in Exile. Gotta go there. It, we can. Located in the notorious French Quarter at 901 Bourbon Street, the cafe lies in a structure built back in 1772, which is old in America speak. If you're from Europe, you're like, 1772. Everything here <laughs> is from negative 500. <laughs> exactly. I have a strap on older than that. <laughs> It's one of the oldest standing buildings in New Orleans. It is no wonder ghosts feel comfortable here. The original cafe was opened in 1926, just a few doors down from the former blacks from the former blacksmith of the infamous pirate Jean Lafitte. It's Brittany, bitch. 
Lafitte was a scoundrel in every sense, though he temporarily redeemed himself during the War of 1812, when he saved the Louisiana city during the Battle of New Orleans, after bravely fighting to keep British troops from retaking control of the colonies. Which, isn't that such a... I'm sorry, I can't get over the War of 1812. I can't get over it. Because we won our independence, and then, like, fucking 60 years later, Britain's just like... We're going to come back and take this again. Well, uh, yeah, because now they have, they're like, okay, it's 60 years. We've developed enough to make it across the ocean without everybody just fucking dying on the way there. Well, losing half our troops. <laughs> Maybe we can get there and actually fight this time. <laughs> you have some nerve, Britain. You have some nerve. Go ahead. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I can't blame them. They got <laughs> fucked again, but you know what? Lafitte was granted immunity from his privateering ways by General Andrew Jackson. He was even granted a plot of land, though he would have to leave his beloved New Orleans. Instead, the pirate relocated to Galveston, Texas, where he built his own town, boasting around a thousand people. However, a pirate is always a pirate, and eventually Lafitte again fell on bad terms with the American government. He, like, built his town, and then he's just, like, pillaging from everybody's house. Literally, <laughs> that's what it was. He kept pillaging. They're like, listen, you can't keep doing that. You built this town for us. And I mean, it's your town, yeah. but like, you can't just come in our house just because it's your town. Like, why'd you even invite us here if you're just going to come here and rob us? That's like, easier than sailing around on the sea. I got to find ships, but you're, you're right next door to me. In 1820, he was exiled from his own town, Galveston, or from the area, Galveston. Yeah. And as revenge, Lafitte boarded his favorite ship, the Pride, and burned his town to the ground. <laughs> it's like, well, take that, you scoundrels. You're not going to give me a shit for free. I'll tell you. <laughs> he spent the rest of his life on the high seas, dying just a few years later. Imagine that you built a town. They're like, no, you you are literally coming in our house every night and robbing our stuff. You have to leave. Fine, fine. Fine. Burns a thousand, a town of a thousand. Like, how do you? That's a big town to that's burn a, that's down. That's a good. Yeah, that's a real that's good like, sized town. That's, that's several bigger, hundred houses. Yeah, that's bigger than some towns in. Like, I always listen to podcasts and it's like, it was a murder in a small town. I had 516 residents. Yeah. This guy had a thousand. He burnt the whole thing down. <laughs> Burn it down. And also I had to in, insert in there that his the name of his ship was The Pride. Yeah, you that's know? awesome. That's which where is, we get it from. No. Which is cool that he had a ship like The Pride, like he had used that term. Yeah. At that in that time period. Well, I mean, he's not thinking gay pride. He's just thinking pride. Pride's been around for a long time. Have you ever heard no, of pride and prejudice? No, he's definitely thinking gay pride. <laughs> he's out there. He, his flag You're is... Like, it's so brave for him to be out I in am. the 1700s. Got, his, his flag's a giant rainbow <laughs> on his ship. He just got like... His crew is all in just Speedos. Oh, yeah. Swabbing well, you know, the poop deck. <laughs> literally. You know the pirates are all just fucking each other. Oh, Yo, yeah. Uh, all, it was all, all day. I mean, there was women, too, I'm sure. But yeah. it's a vast majority of men out on the ocean for months. Mm-hmm. And you think they're you think they're just all going to like jerk off? Like, oh, no. You know, yeah. Maybe if you just if you just close your eyes and suck my dick, I'll suck yours. Oh, yeah. I don't even think... I think they were past that. I think they're like, hey, man. Well, I mean, that's like, probably how it you started. You would go to sea for two years. You're like, we're going to be on the ocean for two years, so you and I are fuck buddies now. We're fuck buddies, and um, I might fuck someone else too, but you and I are definitely fuck buddies. Right. And then, I mean, when they docked, I'm sure they went to the bars and found oh, like, yeah. the, local, the local woman and they found all of that. Them. But, I mean, from getting from place to place, it was like six months. 
Oh, yeah. Like, you're not going to go six months without doing something. No. We all know that, I mean, even the Navy today, not on the ocean that long, are all fucking each other. Mm-hmm. So we know that the pirates That's why they signed up definitely, for the Navy. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, if you're going to be a gay man, you're like, I'm going to choose the Navy. They're like, ah, gay man, mm-hmm. welcome aboard. Yep. All right, but it was his, Jean's, former blacksmith shop in downtown New Orleans, which was converted into a bar in 1936 and ran by a woman named Mary Collins. We know almost nothing about Mary except that she was a proud lesbian, and her open pride made the space a safe one for queer individuals. Like, literally, I looked and looked for stuff about Mary Collins, and all it was, everything was just like, she was a lesbian, and that was it. She probably got taken away during the Lavender Scare. (laughs) Oh, yeah, probably. Like, 20 years later, they're like, you run a gay bar? Yeah, exactly. So by the end of the 1930s, Café Lafitte was a thriving place of queer expression, though of course only on the inside. As time wore on, the notoriety of the gay bar grew until finally the landlord could no longer deny the café for its true identity. So in 1953, after 16 years in Jean Lafitte's blacksmith shop, the landlord refused to renew the bar's lease. Undeterred, new manager Tom Kaplinger simply walked down Bourbon Street a few blocks and found a new residence, which he named Café Lafitte in Exile (laughs) as homage to Captain Lafitte's exile from Galveston, Texas, before he (laughs) pled on the pride. Yeah, he's like, it's very fitting. So that's why so that's why if you hear Café Lafitte in Exile, that is different. And from what I I understand, there is they reopen later a Café Lafitte. Back in the original yeah. spot, but so in in uh, New Orleans, there's two of them. But the Cafe Lafitte in Exile is the gay bar. Hmm. So wander into the right one. <laughs> if you go in, promo code queer. <laughs> promo fuck code up. queer. Get that. Get that. Fr- go you know, just kind of drink go and support fuck. the podcast. And go into the right one. Don't go into the rather regular Cafe Lafitte in your <laughs> booty shorts and your tank top and like I'm here. I'm queer. Let's dance. <laughs> and like we're just having muffins. Yeah, right? So Café Lafitte in Exile still stands to this day, and over the years has attracted queers from all walks of life, some who have never quite left. Two in particular were notorious gay authors, Truman Capote, Capote. Truman Capote and Tennessee Williams. Oh, that's a kind of cool name. You've we- never heard of Tennessee Williams? I don't read, ever. The last book I read was The Hunger Games, and before The Hunger Games, it was Harry Potter, and before that, it was whatever else okay. well, I had to read in school. We, one day, we're going to cover Tennessee Williams, and that wasn't his real name. He was from Tennessee, or he had a, a, a <laughs> southern accent, and so his friends were like, ah, Tennessee, and then th- it, that became his name. Hmm. <laughs> well, there you go. So. My, name, my uh, pseudonym is Indiana... <laughs> Squats. Indiana squats. Can you imagine? <laughs> Indiana. Actually, Indiana Jones. No, Indiana squats. Okay, but I'm just saying there is one cool person yeah, in Indiana. That's true. Uh, so we're not going to get into their full stories as apparently we're going to cover both of them at a later time. Yeah. However, <laughs> perhaps the tragedies of their lives and deaths and what their souls is what what uh, what tied their oh. souls however yeah. perhaps the tragedies of their lives and deaths is what tied their souls to the bar both men frequented cafe lafitte and exile quite often partly for the atmosphere and the gay community and partly to quench their vice both men were alcoholics and would die from the disease their alcoholism no doubt was tied to the pressure of being a gay man in the mid-1900s when you were literally being fired persecuted uh prosecuted yeah. both um yeah yeah Every You're day. a communist. Uh, well, a few years before his death, Williams wrote an, of an incident where he was beaten by a man whom he had previously had sex. 
Why are you laughing? Because that's so horrible. It's so horrible. What was really horrible is that Tennessee Williams was beaten on multiple occasions. See, that's the thing where we've talked about in the past where, like, when something's uncomfortable, we just laugh. And I'm like, <laughs> exactly. he was beaten by somebody he had sex with. I'm like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> I can't help it. Not funny. Mm-mm. But also, but it is sad. It's so, like, okay. <laughs> We're gonna have some older person listening to this and like I was beaten, right. but that is sad, and it really did happen. Mm-hmm. I'm reading a book which we also will do an episode on called Indecent Advances, and that's where I got this one little clip from. And it's basically an entire book of gay men who were beaten in America, mm-hmm. and like the and like this and how their um, offenders got off the crimes. All I have to say is, if you're so angry that you're gonna beat somebody, it's probably because you have some repressed. Well, like Desires. I said, he was beaten by a man he had right. sex with. So he's like, he's like, I liked it, but I'm mad, mad that I liked it because I'm not supposed to like it. Well, that's that's what uh, so uh, Williams wrote. Why do they strike us? What is our offense? We offer them a truth which they cannot bear to confess, except in privacy and the dark. A truth which is inherently as bright as the morning sun. He struck me because he did what I did, and his friends discovered it. Yes, it hurt. Inside. I do not know if I will be able to sleep, but tomorrow I suppose the swollen face will be normal again and I will pick up the usual thread of life. Yep. Yeah, his whole diaries are filled with stories like that where God. like he was he had sex with a man, he hooked up with a man, and then someone walked in on them or the guy would even just find him later and come back and beat the fuck out of him. But like, how dare you make me want to have sex with you? Right, somebody, he walks in, somebody walks in on them and, and he, as he's getting like fucked and they're like, and he's like, oh, uh, where I, did this guy come yeah. I thought he was like, I thought this was a woman. <laughs> what do you mean? This is a man? Fuck. <laughs> he tricked me. <laughs> the guy with the suspenders and the tie on? Oh, damn it. How did I mistake <laughs> him? <laughs> so Tennessee Williams would be beaten several times for his homosexuality. The pain and rejection haunted him. And perhaps that is why he cannot let go of his life, of this life. On February 25th, 1983, Williams was drunk and sedated in a hotel room in New York City. As he went through his nightly routine, Williams laid back to administer himself eye drops, and the and the lid fell into his throat. <laughs> Too drunk to stand up, Williams slowly suffocated. That it's is horrible. horrible. Yeah. Jesus. I know. He just laid <gasps> there, but he was too drunk, and he would take these sedatives to help him sleep, and so he, like... They just assume that he couldn't move from a fucking lid to in your eye throat, drop. and you just lay there and you slowly. Yeah, because it, it didn't like it's so small that like you can yeah. still breathe a little bit, but like yeah. it's just not enough to sustain. Yeah. Mm. A yeah. year later, it was joined by his friend Truman. Uh, well, you missed the part. Um, oh. His body. Oh, oh, yeah. He was buried. Yeah. He was buried in Saint Louis. But his spirit remains at Cafe Lafitte. You always say Louise, St. Louis. Literally, St. Louis is a famous city. (laughs) A year later, it was joined. I'm going to make a shirt that says St. Louis. (laughs) Buy it. It's called branding. A year later, it was joined by his friend Truman Capote, who had died from liver disease and alcohol-induced dementia. Capote was... Capote spent the final year of his life suffering from severe hallucinations and in seclusion. His body was cremated and his soul joined Tennessee. It sounds like he might have even had some mental illness and maybe like some schizophrenia yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, he did. He um, struggled a lot um, Yeah, with it, mental illness. But mm-hmm. I think both men did. But it's also so hard in that time period because it, I mean, it's hard today living as a queer person. But in that time period right. where like every part of your life is threatened. Mm-hmm. And it's also this weird time where like, because you know, 
at society we talked about we've gone through phases where like it was acceptable to be queer but it could change on you in a minute so you have a decade where like, like right now where the supreme court's deciding exactly. whether or not you can be fired for being yeah queer. yeah exactly exactly so but especially then like you'd have like in the 1930s you have this great decade of like people being openly queer and then all of a sudden that shuts down and like, and then you have tw- twenty years of incredible oppression, and in the sixties it starts to come back. So I mean, it's of course, so it's hard to know if it was just like what these men would have been like if they had been able to actually express themselves. Mm-hmm. But today, both ghosts are frequently seen at Cafe Lafitte in exile. Williams reclaims his lone seat at the bar. He can be seen sipping a cocktail, leaning against a wooden post, and staring vacantly into space. Some have suggested he fears he is going insane which was a constant theme in William's life after he witnessed his sister undergo a botched lobotomy. Everything about his little... I'm going to have a panic attack just for him. If I was him, I would just... I I can see why he drank so much. Yeah, exactly. a horrible existence. Yeah, and we haven't even talked about his full life. When we talk about his life, it's a very sad life. He's a brilliant, brilliant man, and it was a very sad life. Um, And same thing with the Capote. Some has, which by the way, Capote wrote like the first true crime novel in cold blood. So if you ever want to read or listen to that, because you love true crime, my wife came home. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyways, Capote, on the other hand, can be seen mingling with patrons on the stairwell after striking up a conversation with an unsuspected individual before abruptly disappearing. Other famous souls are said to frequent the Cafe Lafitte in exile, but these two men seem entirely seem eternally tied to the gay bar. Along with them is a mischievous ghost known only by the name Mr. Bubbles. It's Brittany, bitch. <laughs> he isn't so much a scene, but if you feel a, sm- a sharp pinch on your rear, you can bet Mr. Bubbles is behind it. <laughs> Mr. Bubbles it. just squeezed your ass. <laughs> exactly. We now go rest- west to... Wow, rest. We now go west to Reno, Nevada, and the legend of Timber Kate and Bella Rawhide. <laughs> <laughs> it's like <laughs> what the most stereotypical lesbian names we could go <laughs> literally like if i was gonna write some like uh fiction or lesbian something and i needed two, two lesbians timber kate and bella rawhide like that would be it you literally can't get any more lesbian than that. i'm sorry <laughs> the two sex workers had turned their job into a gold mine in the early days of the wild west while the two women were deeply in love it would have been dangerous to live openly as a couple. So they found a way around it by putting on a live show of their lovemaking. Like, literally. So smart. <laughs> I know, because right? Because at that time, like, what man isn't going to be, oh, what? You can, two women? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's... Yeah, like, if you're upstairs, like, having sex, like, you could you could be murdered. But if you're like, well, we'll just go have sex on the stage. And all the guys like, we'll pay you to have sex on right? the stage. And like, all right. It was the first porn. It literally was. <laughs> um, they performed public public sex in saloons up and down the de- deserts and gold mine towns of Nevada, plastering the towns with posters wherever they went. They also did solo acts and continued their sex work as it was one of the few independent jobs a woman could work in those days. Yeah, I mean, in the West, like, there's so few things that you could do. These women were already in sex work. So they were still, you know, having to mm-hmm. be sex workers. But they were they were comfortable and they were happy. Like, they right. found a way that worked for them. Bella, in particular, was quite beautiful with blonde hair, blue eyes, and gorgeous curves. She didn't act at the end of the show known as Eve's Leaves, where she would come out in a small outfit of leaves and remove them one by one with each pinch of gold dust dropped into her bowl. Genius, right? (laughs) If she ran a company today, that company would be 
have billions. Exactly. The man who dropped the final and largest amount of dust would win Bella for the evening. Again, like it just keeps getting smarter and smarter. Exactly. Kate, on the other hand, was large, rough, and muscular, but apparently a great lay in bed. Everyone said she was fantastic. Probably because she could just pick you, pick you up and throw you wherever you yeah, want to be thrown. <laughs> literally. So you know how you always see like, um, like a man holding a woman up? Like standing exactly. and like moving the woman up and down. She's standing and like pulling you in and out of her. <laughs> exactly. I'm sure that's how it was. And the guys loved it. So though the situation may not have been ideal, the two women were happy and quite well off and settled down for a time in Reno, Nevada. That is until a ruffian by the name of Tug Daniel showed up in town. <laughs> Every name in this story. I know, right? Daniels was a swindler who saw a chance to horn in on the woman's thriving business and as is the case with most swindlers, he was also a bit of a charmer. Accounts vary on whether both women were attracted to Daniels or just Bella. It seems unlikely that Kate would have been interested in Tug, though she may have seen him as a good friend. Either way, one day, Timber Kate woke up to find that Bella had run off with Daniels. Heartbroken, Kate attempted to go on alone. She didn't have the seduction skills of Bella, and Kate tried her hand at weightlifting shows. So she would just get up on stage and lift weights in tights. But eventually it just dissolved into an odd strip tease. No doubt the men made it clear that they didn't come to watch a woman stronger than them. So, I mean, this is me guessing, but like they just said that her weightlifting show didn't go good. And then by the end of it, she would just end up stripping. So mm. I'm assuming the men were like, take off your clothes. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. Exactly. Kate slipped into a deep depression and might have faded away when she suddenly received notice that Bella needed help. Surprisingly, a guy named Tug wasn't so trustworthy. God damn it, that was the most trustworthy name I ever heard. <laughs> you mean Tug? He ran <laughs> off? What? <laughs> After pimping Bella out and using her for all he could, Daniels took the money and skipped town, leaving Bella all alone in the budding city of, of Carson City, Nevada. Kate came to her lover's aid, reconciling with Bella, and the two settled down and took a job at a local saloon named the Beehive. That sounds like a cool saloon. Yeah. But Kate was constantly paranoid that Bella would leave her again, and her worst fears came to light when Tug Daniel showed back up. <laughs> this asshole. The, yeah, the t story goes that Kate was out for blood after Tug's betrayal, and Daniels was out for more money. The two squared off in the parlor of the Beehive and began to fight. But Tug never played fair, and when he realized he couldn't beat the strong and furious lesbian, he pulled out a knife. Quickly, Daniel sliced Kate from crotch to navel and fled as she bled out on the floor, gasping and writhing in pain, devastated gasping and writhing in pain. Devastated by Kate's death, Bella later drank cleaning fluid and died of poison. <sighs> Fucking wow. Tug. He knew Fuck he was gonna get his ass beat. Yeah, he did know he was. Going up against Timber Kate, you fucking moron. Oh, She's using him for the weightlifting <laughs> over her <laughs> Exactly head. right. But Tug Daniels was never caught, and the ghost of Kate and Bella still haunt Nevada in search of the fiend. People say that for years, if anyone tried to take down the posters of Kate and Bella's show, they'd be met with a sharp fist of Timber Kate. Can you imagine? It's like, <laughs> I'm just going to rip this down and bam! He's just going to get knocked on the floor. Out. Residents of Carson City say you can still see the murdered woman in a bloodied nightgown floating along the streets in search of Bella. Others claim to see her body ragged and bleeding, holding the contents of her oh, stomach God. and crawling through the streets seeking vengeance on Tug Daniels. And as for Bella Rawhide, her soul is forever trapped in the now dismantled building of the Beehive, frozen in the moment of time when she lost the woman she loved and had betrayed. Yeah, imagine that, like the woman that you, the man that you left 
this woman that you loved for yeah. came in and killed the woman that you, you loved. loved. Yeah. Oh my, that would be... You deserve to be trapped, Bella. You <clears throat> yeah, deserve. you kind of did it to yourself. Which, um, apparently that story is completely legend. There's not a shred of evidence about it. But no, I believe sorry. it. It's fact. <laughs> so, uh, this is where, I mean, that uh, yeah. the last few were a little bit rough, but this is where the trigger warning comes in effect. Yes. This story is the one that's going to make you pass out. Um, if you stop hearing from me, it's because I'm on the floor. So, <laughs> I didn't put a lot of the gruesome stuff in the script, so you can read the script and be okay, but we'll talk about the gruesome mm-hmm. stuff. Now we have across the ocean to Slovakia. A small country landlocked in the middle of Eastern Europe. But this tiny kingdom has a long history of nightmares. And most of these comes from, come from Erzabit or Elizabeth Bathory. So we're nope. just, Bathory. We're just going to call her Lizzie. Okay. Erzabit <laughs> Bathory. Raised in the infamous region of Transylvania, she was a vampire, <laughs> Elizabeth came from a home of horrors. In the words of author Kim Summer, Ken Summers, I can't read today. Her uncle, see, I'm just, <laughs> Jesus. I think I'm having a seizure. Her uncle was an alchemist and a devil worshiper. Her aunt Clara was a witch as well as a lesbian. Her own brother Stephen or Stefan was labeled a reprobate prone, reprobate, reprobate prone to lechery, lechery, and drinking binges. Don't know what leechery is. That's like you leech on someone and oh. like, you know. You're so like leech. a modern day fuck boy. Well, not, I, maybe a fu- Yeah, yeah, you're using someone for their money. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. He became Prince of Transylvania while Elizabeth enjoyed her own savage youth. So I, I didn't put a lot. I'll, I'll, I'll stop after this paragraph. All right. So Elizabeth was vain and narcissistic and this compiled with the abuse of her childhood left little hope of her being anything but a monster. At age 11, she was engaged to the Count Ferenc Nazdi. However, Elizabeth was raped and became pregnant with another man's child and was locked away until the baby was born. Now, that's what I originally read, but when I went back, what I heard was, so the Count Nazdi was who was 16 when they were engaged. So this was, even though he was older, this was kind of common. Like when you're a princess, especially the Balcheries were very uh, prominent family. Um, So Elizabeth... And during their engagement, she hooks up with like a, a local boy and gets pregnant. And while she's being hidden away to avoid the scandal, the count goes, finds the local boy and, um, oh, what did he do to him? There were so many murder stories in my head that I can't <laughs> remember. Um, but basically he tortured the boy to death and then lit him on fire. Um, and so, and that, so the, so the count already is kind of fucking weird. Mm-hmm. As for Elizabeth, she lived her, her life. Like she grew up in extreme, like watching extreme abuse. So one story, which we don't know is true, but an infamous story was her is that she, when she was a little girl, she watched a peasant, a peasant who was being tortured and he was sewn up into the belly of a horse and then. Um, he suffocated to death in the belly of the horse and they could say that the princess was falling over laughing because she thought it was so funny watching him being sewn up into the horse. Oh my God. So (laughs) people were fucked up. You already only lived. I mean, I guess if you only lived till 30, like, yeah, gotta have some kind of entertainment. I guess so. Yeah. So, um, so after uh, Elizabeth had the newborn, it disappeared and the young bride married her betrothed. The count was five years. Her senior was equally repulsive. And hopefully the illegitimate baby survived and was given to a good home. Either way, even no, that death, baby was 
I'm not going to say anything because I was going to go real fucked up route. The baby's not alive. <laughs> Either way, even death would have been better than being raised by Elizabeth and Ferenc. So, the Countess was given her own castle, and with her husband, often away in other parts of the world, <coughs> she took her own lovers as well. Elizabeth had no specific taste when it came to bedfellows. She was a beautiful woman, and she wanted beautiful people. Her long list of lovers included both men and women and anyone who identified in between. She once ran off with a wizard for a few months, but no one could ever tell if the wizard was a woman or a man. And if it was nothing more than sex, we would be discussing the con- We wouldn't be? We would be discussing. Oh. And if it was nothing more than sex, we would be discussing- Oh, maybe we wouldn't be. <laughs> Sorry. And if it was nothing more than sex, we wouldn't be discussing the Countess Bathory. Batory. I'm, I'm going to call her Bathory. I'm never going to remember that. She retained her own last name, even in 1575, because she claimed it was more legendary than her husband's. <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> However, Elizabeth had a very dark and sadistic streak, which eventually turned cruel and deadly. So um, both, so a lot of people credit Ferenc as be like really introducing her to the torture. And so, like, they were both very sadistic fucks, and they just fed off of each other. So mm-hmm. She truly loved her husband, but, like, he's probably the only person that ever really got her. her him and, like, one of her female lovers mm-hmm. that we'll talk about. So, the Countess loved women in many forms, but she especially loved to dominate and torture them. Initially, it was simply a form of discipline for her servants, which was common at the time. But soon, Elizabeth found that she liked the torture too much. On one occasion, she forced a disobedient female slave to stand outside naked in the middle of winter and douse the woman in water until she froze. Um, and that actually happened on multiple occasions where she would drag the pe- women out, she'd lay them in the snow, and then she'd, she'd cover them in water and they would just freeze to death. Holy shit. During the summer, sometimes Elizabeth would cover her sub- servants in honey, tie them to trees, and allow nature to have its way with the insects and animals stinging and biting the poor women. And soon the torture turned to mean to a means to death. Historians believe this happened around 1585, though the most gruesome stories would not come to light until after Ferenc's death in 1604. After the Countess had passed, Elizabeth brought her lover Anna Dervulia to live with her in Caddis Castle? Caddis Castle. Anna taught Elizabeth more about torture, and the Countess began to send a carriage drawn by four black steeds into town to kidnap girls and bring them back to the castle. There, the women were chained to the walls, put in tiny cages along the corridors, beaten mercilessly, and put through every form of torture before, eventually, the dead bodies were disposed of outside. The amount of victims was quite substantial and therefore noticed and reported by citizens. But because the young women were peasants, no one paid their disappearance any mind. It is likely that Elizabeth would have continued her murderous spree without hindrance had Anna not died. At this time, the Countess took a new partner and lover, the widow Ezra Mahal. Majorova. Majorva? Majorva? Majorova. Okay. His name was Ever- Ezra. Yeah, so um so one of the stories again not in here. So the um so she so obviously people are noticing because she's just sitting in this carriage in the town and some of the girls are being lured away because they're telling them, Hey, we need people to work at the castle. And the rumors that uh Elizabeth was brutal, like she was a, a brutal master had circulated, but people wanted the money. Right. Um, but then other girls, but then like when that became hard because the girls weren't coming home, then they just started like grabbing girls off mm-hmm. the streets. So obviously the peasants all know. So there was a local priest <coughs> and, um, 
And Elizabeth says, you know what? We've got a cholera outbreak because the bodies are becoming too much. She's like, we have a cholera outbreak. Can you bury these bodies? And the priest is like, okay. So he's, she sends him a, um, a casket. He buries it. Like two days later, she sends him a bigger casket. And the, the priest is like, um, can I just ask you how many people are in this casket? And she goes, she goes, um, he's like, I just, he's like, it seems that there's three people in this casket. And she goes, um, well, there's two, because one died, and then we knew another one was on the way, so we put them in there. So she lied. So they opened the casket, and what it was, there were spikes lining the casket, and apparently the three women had been put in, and then the coffin had just been closed on them, and then they had been impaled and left to die in the oh, casket, and God. then been shipped out to the priest to Imagine be Imagine laying there, and like just seeing that, and like and just ugh, yeah, waiting for it to slam down on you. Exactly. <sighs> so the Your priest- ears would be ringing. Like, <laughs> I'm just imagining that. My ears would be ringing everything would start to go blurry like waiting for it to come down yeah panic (laughs) so anyway so the priest was like on like on it so he starts speaking openly about her like this woman is killing people and we have to do something about it but like no one seems to give a fuck and then anna dies and ezra comes around so the widow ezra convinced elizabeth that she could get even more beautiful girls if she could lure away wealthy women So the two conspired and created a fake school of social ethics for high-ranking ladies in the region. And this is where she fucked up. Mm -hmm. Somehow, the countess had managed to maintain a respected image among the nobles, and they were happy to send their daughters off to Kaddish Castle. Sadly, the naive young women met the same fate as the peasant girls, being beaten, cut, burned, and in some cases even eaten by the monstrous countess and her followers. For by now, the Countess had acquired a group of individuals who aided her in her quest of torture and death. She had a whole group of people, and almost all of them were women, who helped her, like, capture these girls, bring them to her, uh, torture them. Um, And so uh, one story, and this one was really rough, because it was was a little kid. This 12-year-old girl runs away from the castle, and two of... of, uh, the Elizabeth ladies in waiting go and they, they find the little girl and they bring her back. And the countess is so mad that she starts stabbing the, the little girl in her fingers. And then when she's like stabbed them, she goes up to her arms and then she goes down to her legs, but she doesn't like stab any vital organs. So right. she just literally stabs the little girl to death. Oh God. Yeah. Listen, if anybody out there ever murders me, please just do it in one, one go. <laughs> just one? Just one foul I don't want this. One go. Uh, so one individual, all right, so um, she had acquired, acquired a group of people. Some were there by choice, others on fear of death. So some people came to the house, the um, court, and for some reason the countess liked her, liked them, and they didn't want to leave, but they were terrified of this woman. Right. Everyone was terrified, and I would be terrified because – her her torture was so sadistic and so horrific. Right. It's not just that you're going to die. You're going to be tortured to death in mm-hmm. the most horrific way. So one individual was a nurse who kept the captive women alive and able to endure more torture. So and the and the nurse like taught the, the countess where to cut and what to right. do to keep the victims alive. Jesus. The murderous rain came crashing down in 1610 when a local priest began to out her for the, to the lords and nobles in the community. Finally catching the ear of King Matthias. Matthias. I, I, I'm, I'm, Mat, Matthias. Whatever. Whatever. Who was actually quite pleased to have a reason to investigate the countess. King Matthias owed Elizabeth a substantial sum of money, which she could not pay. 
The castle was raided, and Imperial guards found more than they bargained for when they entered the bloody fortress. <laughs> like, no shit. Yeah. There are corpses of rotting bodies everywhere. In some areas of the castle, an entire hallway would be covered in blood. Victims still alive were screaming in pain. One officer wrote, We watched in horror as the dogs ran about with parts of the girls in their mouth. Oh, my Lord. I know. Imagine it's like, you want a bone? You want a bone? Throwing them arm. Like, <laughs> exactly. a whole arm. <laughs> Fetch boy. Mm-hmm. No. So one of the stories, one of the biggest rumors about uh, Countess Batori is that she bathed in the blood of her victims, which is one of the few stories that probably isn't true. But it is true that she would have her servants go around and get up scoops of blood and they would put it in vials, and she would put it on herself. So she was obsessed with state remaining mm-hmm. young and beautiful. So they would. So there was enough blood that you could scoop it up in your right. hands and put it in a pocket. You know, Jesus, just like rivers of blood flowing through the hallway. Yeah, and so and the thing about this, I I had heard about this woman a long time ago, but her it seems too fantastic, like too ridiculous. There's right. no way this could be true. Uh, this is just an, an, a legend that's evolved, but. Over 300 people testified at the trial for the blood countess, as she was now known. The physical and testimonial evidence was overwhelming, and it was estimated that Elizabeth murdered or oversaw the murder of at least 600 women. Now, the number 600 came from a, a girl, a maid, a chambermaid who had gone into Elizabeth's room to clean it, and she found a book where Elizabeth had written down the names and like a brief description of each one of her victims. Oh, my God. And there were 615 names. The official total is 80 because that's how many bodies they found. Yeah. But this was went on for 40 years. So. Yeah, so there's no way it was only 80. Exactly. And Not two a year. Like ex- She's sending away carriages to gather these to, women. Exactly. Like, and also, and um, like I said, when 300 people want to testify against you, you're a fucking cunt. Mm-hmm. Imagine so, that. Yeah. Just the line of people waiting. <laughs> like, does anybody want to testify against the countess? Everybody gets in line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One person doesn't. Joe's <laughs> like, I just don't know if it's true, okay? <laughs> it sounds ridiculous. All right. <laughs> so, yet, even though all her co-conspirators were executed, Elizabeth's title saved her. Instead, she was walled up in her room with just enough space for the guards to pass her food and water each day. And... She, um, as an act of protest, she put on her wedding dress and she would spend, she was there for four years and she spent the next four years only in her wedding dress. Like she died in her wedding dress. Before we get there, I'm going to read this about the trial. So, so her torture methods included beating her maidservants with barbed lash and heavy, a heavy, heavy cuddle. I don't know. I think it's a heavy club. Mm-hmm. dragging them naked in the snow and dousing them with cold water until they froze to death, putting pins under their fingernails, armpits, and genitals. Oh, yeah, there was one where she took a hot um, like fire iron and she shoved it up a girl's vagina. Just like, oh, just shoved it up there. Ah. Yeah. Um, she And then it says she bathed in the young girl's blood and made different surgeries on the victims, starved them to death, bit their flesh, and sexually abused them, which was the least, you know. Mm-hmm. Um the one one um her accompli- her accomplices were forced to testify against her and so one of them testified uh, at the trial saying they tied the hands and arms very tightly with a venice cord they were beaten with until the whole body was black as charcoal and their skin was rent and torn one girl suffered more than 200 blows before dying dorco who was another accomplice 
cut their fingers one by one with shears and then slit the veins with scissors. Mm, I'm going to pass that. <laughs> I told you. I told him. I said, Paul, you need to check the fucking. I said, they said this is the Marquis de Sade. If like he did everything that he wrote about. Right. Like the Marquis de Sade just mostly wrote about mm-hmm. everything he wanted to do. And fucking Erzbit did it. <clears throat> um, Needless yeah. to say, the castle's haunted. Yeah. So anyway, so all that to say. Um, so uh, after four years of being walled up, um, uh, walled up inside the uh, room, Erzbit died. Needless to say, the castle is haunted. It has since been reduced to shambles and ruins, but to this day, at least part of the structure remains, sitting empty of mortal life, but possessed by the demons at the blood Countess created. Those in the town nearby can hear the screams of the countless victims. Faces and forms are seen in the windows. A heavy mist of death still lingers in the air. They say Elizabeth still roams the dungeon below with the souls of her victims still entrapped, and she's still wearing the white wedding dress that she died in. Now, I don't really believe in ghosts or anything, but if somewhere is actually going to be haunted, it's that place. Absolutely. Let's go. Same. No, no. Let's you could go. not. Let's do it. Jeff Bezos could promise me his fucking fortune, and I would tell him, go fuck yourself, Let's, Jeff. You no, I, I don't. Stay the night. I don't think anybody goes. I don't even think ghost hunters go. I think like legitimate people are like, no, I don't. We know that place is haunted. We don't need to check. I'm we going. don't need to verify. Like, if you want to go with me, let me know. <laughs> you're, you're an, you're a psycho. There's why would you? I would. You could not pay me enough to step in that castle. No way in hell. I bet the the earth underneath that castle is so fertile, though, from like all the blood seeping through, like the minerals <laughs> and stuff. Like, I bet you could grow. Some I bet fish. it's beautiful. You could get some great tomatoes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just have to make sure that you don't get murdered by the the psychotic countess ghost God. before the tomatoes grow. So that's our story for today. And your recommended resource is Queer Hauntings: True Tales of Gay and Lesbian Ghosts by Ken Sumner's. Summers, sorry, Sumner is my grandfather's family name. And if you want to check out the story of Elizabeth Battery, Bouchery, Bouchery, further, we recommend the book Infamous Lady, the true story of Elizabeth Bouchery. As for movies, there are not many modern day English versions available. Yeah. Though if you like foreign films, you can check out The Countess. Or there's a lot of other podcasts devoted to her story. Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of true crime podcasts that have covered her. Mm-hmm. And um, you can learn a lot more about her. But yeah, I couldn't bring myself to do a whole episode on her because she, yeah, she was queer, but she was, she was also, and she was like, legitimately, she was very sick. Like mm-hmm. they would say that at times of stress, her torture would like, uh, like one, like when her um, husband died, she had like four girls riding the carriage with her and she just tortured them the whole way. Like as her stress would lie, rise, so would her torture mm. methods because she didn't know how to cope right. with feelings. So good stuff. Um, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, do something fun today. Yeah. Because that Take was pretty Take your mind dark. off of that. Go enjoy yourself. Listen to something else funny. Listen to some of our old podcasts. Um, are David and Jonathan gay? Yeah, that's, that's a, a good, good one. one. That's or a good one. Or we're David and Jonathan, whatever. Yeah. Um, we have a few funny ones out there, so if you need a little pick me up. Yep. Yeah. 
And um, we'll be back next week with a little bit more gruesome. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna make it through October, people. Um, Otis Tool and Henry Lee Lucas. Um, so the two uh, gay serial killers. Um, so yeah, <laughs> um, stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy. Especially not a botched one. It'll fuck you up. Uh, we love you, our little allied hookers. And a little succulent sapphist. And our proud homocrats. Have a sodomy circus. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.